You're listening to Hayes Radio Network, Cannabis Lifestyle Radio. Welcome to another episode of Cultivate. This is a show about you and your journey in the cannabis industry. It's moving fast, but there's room for everyone. Buckle up as we bring you the people and the technology that are blazing the trail. Two people joining the show today. Can we call it a show? It's a podcast. Can we call it a show? Or should we call it the cast? Let's call it the cast. The cast. Two, Two people, two new cats joining the cast today. I like that. Lance Lambert. Lance, <laughs> Lance Lambert, ladies and gentlemen. Romance. Lance's new title <laughs> is uh, the Strategic Business Unit Manager for Cannabis at Boveda. We're super excited that you joined the team. Lance has got uh, a storied history. Uh, we met him through Weed Maps and through the Cannabis in, uh, in Denver. Yep. Um, a journalist and a, uh, just an all-around great guy that everybody in the industry loves. So we're trying to take advantage of your industry love. So welcome to Boveda. Thank you. Thank and you. then Ben Yamin, is that how you say it? If you were in Spain, yeah. Benjamin? <laughs> Benjamin would work. Benjamin Patok? Yeah. He's well, in, in German, I would say Benjamin Patok. In German? Wow. Yeah. Okay. But we so should good. repeat it can a few we, times so people Drew, can know we hear you, you try that? Benjamin Patok. Patok. That's pretty good. Patok. Pa. So he's the uh, sales and marketing head for our European market. So we've got Europe here. We've got one of, uh, you know, your world. So, yes, uh, yes. And you're Europe. So the whole object of the exercise is to have a conversation with you guys about this growing, crazy, wonderful cannabis business. So Definitely. where we thought we'd start is just generally the current state of the business on both, both sides of the world. So take it away, Europe. Uh-huh. Is What's there... happening in Europe? Oh, many, many things. Many good things, many not so good things. Um, but at the end, I mean, people, when you think about Europe, right, everybody thinks about Amsterdam and going to Amsterdam and just ah, buy weed everywhere. And the funny thing is that it used to be like this. It's, it's actually that they're, they're toning down. For instance, Amsterdam, over the period of the last five years, pretty much half of the coffee shops of, in Amsterdam have closed. Not many people know that, you know. And not many people even know that while it's legal to buy your recreational cannabis, I would like to say weed, your, your recreational cannabis uh, in a coffee shop. The coffee shops themselves, they buy on the black market. Yeah, can you explain kind of that whole process? Because I didn't, I had no idea that that's how it was. I just thought you go there and you can get cannabis or weed wherever you want and it's just free reign, but it really doesn't sound like that. Well, as a consumer, you can go to a coffee shop and just buy and consume there. You're not allowed to consume in the street anywhere, so people might still do it like everywhere else on this planet, but um, you can buy there. But they're only allowed to have, I don't think, I think 50 grams or something like this. on site. Yeah. At so, the coffee shop. Yeah. 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 So yeah, if yeah. you think about the, the pounds that we have, just to compare both sides of the pond, you know, we don't have a cap on poundage that can be at a dispensary here, especially one that's vertically integrated because they can literally be growing it in the backyard. Yeah. And just <laughs> you know, 50, back 50, grams, 50 grams, just like three and a half, four ounces, something like this, so it's not much. No, not at all. Yeah. I mean, is it, they can only have 50 grams per day? On or site. So on they site have, at the same they time. Couriers, which have a pretty important job. Yeah, in, in so they re- have to restash several times a day, especially now with the demand is still there. There are more and more tourists. I mean, every fourth or fifth tourist coming to Amsterdam is planning to go to a coffee shop and consume there. 
Um, so demand is still there, but the coffee shops are closing down. They had new regulations that you have to be without this and this radius outside of a school. You're not allowed to have. This is why one of the biggest, like the one of the oldest coffee shops in in Amsterdam, had to close down. The Mellow Yellow, you know, it has to close, had to close down, and and these type of things. So um, the Dutch government really isn't all about legalization and all these type of things. You know, they just wanted to get rid of, you know, like the black market, like one end of the black market, yeah. but at the same time, they're firing <laughs> up the, the other, the rear end, you know, it's really kind of weird. Yeah, it's uh, so these couriers go to what used to be local growers. So they actually had growers that were growing in their attics, um, not so much basements there, like Colorado, where yeah. it used to be black market. Um, so growing in their attics, and these couriers going back and forth, exactly to Benny's point, um, they thought they cut off the head by getting rid of the illegal grows, but now they're sourcing the cannabis from outside the country. So to his point, uh, while they're trying to eliminate black market, they actually took it deeper. Yeah, it almost seems like they're market. encouraging illegal activity or black market. So is there any uh, future in sight where the black market goes away or will there always be a black market in the industry? I think there will always be a black market in yeah, the industry. I mean, you still have a black market even where it's legal, right? Yeah. I mean, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It is because you have, that's one thing I had a bit of an epiphany when, you know, when with the cannabis uh, was downtown um, in the Lodo, lower downtown district of Denver, sitting across from a dispensary and, uh, and from a five-star restaurant that had valet out front. And I kept seeing vehicles pull up, Mercedes and BMWs and minivans. I'm like, oh, it's, it's the parents doing a date night out. But they kept leaving these cars parked out front. The people come back out five minutes later. I realized they were going into the dispensary to get their cannabis to be able to tolerate their kid's soccer game for three hours on Saturday. That's when I had the epiphany. I'm like, wow, it's, it's, not, so much, um, it's not so much the younger generation that is coming on to the legalization side. It's those in the, the Gen X, those in the baby boomer generation that didn't have drug dealers all the time, that haven't been consuming cannabis for the last four, five, 10, 15 years. So exactly at Benny's point, there will always be a black market. It's a big debate in California with the taxes uh, in some places reaching as high as 45%. Right now we're paying about $10 a gram. So you're getting an eighth for about $35, $40 for, for really decent, decent bud. And um, with the 45% tax rate, who's going to pay $70, $75 for the same product? When you're charged more for a product, normally you expect additional features, advantages, and benefits thereof. But you're literally getting the same weed. It's just now the tax man's coming in and, and bumping it. So again, to Benny's point, even in legal markets, unfortunately, because of the way government works, I think there will always be a black market too. Yeah, I mean, especially since there will always be like at least one guy who's not willing to pay taxes. You know, <laughs> so in Europe, uh, what countries are most uh, welcoming to the cannabis industries and what countries are mm -hmm. uh, more rigid about it? Yeah. So I, I would say like the most progressive, if you want to put it this way, is still I would still count the Netherlands in because they are the only place where you can legally buy recreational cannabis. Um, I would count Spain in with their system of the cannabis social clubs. We can talk about this in a, in a second, which is really special. Um, I would count Italy in, even though it is illegal, but they have a strong movement towards legalization recently. Um, whereas other places that might seem so, for instance, the UK doesn't have a medical cannabis program up to yet. They, they, they induced it now, you know, and probably they're going to have a bill 
um, maybe beginning of next year, but up to now they don't have it. Yeah. While medical cannabis is, that most Western countries have a medical cannabis, uh, cannabis program. I think Norway is one of the mm -hmm. few ones that doesn't have them. Um, but the rest, I mean, and then some of the states, they have some, some weird type of <laughs> takes on this. For instance, in, in Austria, it is legal to, to buy a cannabis plant but it's illegal to flower it, you know. So they they it's sell decoration. it as a, yeah they sell it as an ornament, you know, to your living room. And you know this is a country. Because ferns are overrated. Yeah, just yeah. ferns. It's, yeah, they're just not that pretty, you know. <laughs> they're just not that pretty. Wasn't and there a country too that only you can buy seeds? Yeah, but the funny thing is that you have to think about like just uh, that this Switzerland, but in Austria, for instance, I think they're like seven, seven, eight million people, and they sell. I don't know, like 100,000 plants per month. Oh. So it's really green living rooms up down there. Yeah. You know? It's like really yeah. green. And yeah, in, the, the, in Switzerland, you're allowed to, to buy seeds. And most of the other countries like Germany, you're not allowed to buy seeds. Um, but you're not allowed to plant them in Switzerland. So they buy them as collectibles. So you're a seed collector. So, hey, you want to trade one of mine with one of yours? <laughs> you know? So it's really fun. Yeah. So. Lance, can you characterize the state of the business in the U.S. as far as where it's booming, yeah. where it's stuck? Definitely. Rec versus medical. Yeah, rec versus medical, very much to Benny's point, like Europe. Uh, medical is definitely still more dominant in this country with we're just shy of 40 states um, and all that have a level of legalization one way or the other, medical and or recreational. Uh, but obviously, as you guys know, um, the last round of voting was quite a pivotal one um, about a year ago. So uh, November of 2016 is when several states were attempting to vote in adult use. Uh, we did use the term recreational. We're trying to shift away from that now. So uh, with adult use, the only state that didn't pass was Arizona. We're figuring maybe the next time around it will. But if you look at the map, just from an adult use standpoint, um, the West is dominant. So you have Alaska, you have uh, Washington, Oregon, California, Nevada, um, and then you go across the other side of the country and while they're a little slow to get the rules and regs in place, it does take quite a bit. Um, but you also have uh, Florida voted uh, medical, not recreational, but it's still a big deal because there's a high demand down there. Um, you also have Massachusetts, Maine, um, I believe Maryland. Um, so there, it's the, the numbers are stacking. Uh, but it is interesting because of the fact that all the markets are very unique. And that's one thing we saw, you know, I was very thankful to have moved to Colorado and, and be a part of the cannabis coming into fruition back in 2014. Uh, but it's interesting because, you know, Washington was just six months behind us, but Washington is special. So they, they really didn't want to take any, you know, pointers from us, which is understandable. We were only in for six months. But then you take when Oregon came on board and Oregon's like, no, we're special. So Washington and Colorado, you're doing your thing. Um, we'll do ours. Um, and then D.C., another example where they took a totally different approach and, and didn't really take any notes. So I think that's the interesting thing of when it's um, state by state versus federal is that's where all the states really come out in personality and saying, well, this is why we're different. This is, what, this is what makes us unique. But really, are they? I mean, when it comes to consumption, no matter if it's medical or recreational, I think there is enough uh, you know, synergy to be able to say, yeah, hey, Washington, let me call. And we saw a little bit of that with Nevada, uh, luckily. The governor of Nevada did reach out to the governor of Colorado. The feedback he got, I, I think, might have been a little biased. Um, and luckily, Brian Sandoval still made the right decision as far as um, going towards cannabis legalization. Uh, and that's going to be an epicenter. I mean, as far as if you guys asked, everyone's got a lot of focus. It is going to be a big year in 2018 because California coming online. California is going to be the largest legal recreational state um, in the world. 
and, and by comparison to country too. There's 39.3 million people. If you look at Canada, which is another pivotal point for legalization come July 1st of 2018, um, still their population is just over 36 million. So you're talking about one state that's a larger populace than, than all of Canada, or even all of Australia. I mean, Australia is sitting at under 25 million. So it's crazy to see. So there's other countries that are keeping an eye on it. My friends in Ireland said that they're very much keeping a close eye to see how California rolls out. Um, but Cal so California is special, but I think Nevada is as well. You know, Nevada is a high transient state. I so. think that even many, many, many states and countries in the in, in Europe are looking. You know how different states and the entire movement is, is coming along, especially with Canada. You know, Canada exports like quite a bit to Europe. Like most of the medical cannabis that is in Europe comes from Canada. We only have one LP, which licensed producer uh, for for medical cannabis, and that's that's a company. Right in the Netherlands, and then of course, like the the Italian, the Italian army is the second one. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> they produce, yeah, they, they, the Which medical they cannabis. Not as good a weed as our uh, government <laughs> does. With I don't know if you guys know, our government's had a program for decades now, uh, with only about uh, I think twenty people that are enrolled. But that's that's ditch weed, <laughs> and I venture to guess that, that yeah, the like army the Italian army. Ditch weed as well. I wouldn't know because I'm not a medical medical patient in Italy, but um, it's. Um, um, well, yeah, because they, they pretty much took over yeah. the, the, the process the of, of, of doing that and just for, you know, to cover the, the, the domestic uh, medical market. It's really interesting. So it's all army, army grade material. <laughs> Lance, would you say it's more beneficial, do you think, to go state by state like the U.S. is doing or go the route Canada went where it's countrywide? You know, I don't know. It depends if you're coming from old school mentality towards the industry or new school, right? So from an efficiency uh, standpoint, I do believe that whole country, I applaud Canada for doing what they did and covering, you know, across from coast to coast uh, because it is uniform. And that's something that's almost expected out of that country. I mean, you look at um, gun regulations, you look at uh, the medical program. Um, they're definitely about efficiency and all in. And Trudeau, I mean, that was a big element of him uh, moving into office was the cannabis movement. So um, I applaud that. But then you look at uh, rather comparing territories and provinces to states. Uh, states are very unique. That's the one thing I realized. You know, touring Australia and um, touring, you know, a place like South America, you know, there's uh, a synergy amongst the people in those, in those areas, you know. And um, from country to country, I think even in Europe, you know, you see a place like Greece that uh, we didn't know what it was going to do. And, and they voted and they moved on and they're ready to go. Uh, so I don't know the U.S. We're so proud of being, oh, I'm California, I'm New York, I'm Arizona, I'm Oregon. I think that's the one thing that would have been a challenge to ever get it moved forward. But I am thankful that leaders in the union um, were the ones that, that really pushed it forward, and others will follow. I mean, I'd really like to see places like Kentucky, um, Tennessee, even Alabama, uh, come online and um, reason being, if nothing else, I mean, from a from a horticulture standpoint, I mean, yeah. those aren't bad places to no, grow from all. a climate stance. So it's not the Emerald Triangle, but still, no. you know, they could provide a lot of cannabis and or hemp. I mean, we have a lot of people don't know there's two sides to the plant. Uh, hemp, uh, you know, by law has 0.03% or less of THC. So it's not psychoactive, but it's a phenomenal textile. You used to be able to pay your taxes um, back at the turn of the century, past turn century with hemp. So it's something that was a major element in textile in this country. We're trying to bring it back. But, you know, even us working with a, a partner, he's like, hey, I want to bring you hemp clothing. There's just the supply and demand so tough right now. 
So. And I have a lot of friends in, that's funny you say that about Kentucky and Alabama and Tennessee. I have a lot of friends in Iowa that are farmers and they're buying land, not touching it yep. in just preparation for it to go legal there. Yeah. Um, it's a great growing climate. Yeah, it, it is. is. And you can and turn there's a ton of land in four, Iowa. Four, five, six crops a year. Whereas you look at the cost of turning tree, the cost of turning cotton. I mean, that's something that there's no no doubt that um, those that found this country were on the right track for making hemp a major component from uh, from an oil standpoint, again, from a textile standpoint, from paper standpoint. I mean, there's so many things that you can pull out of hemp and you can use whole plant. That's the thing that's different. You know, so cotton, all you have is, is the head. All you have is the head of the cotton. You don't have the entire plant that you can utilize. Hemp, every single bit. Let's go on a trip. You know, the cannabis industry, we've all been traveling a lot. Let's, mm-hmm. uh, can we get you to tell your, uh, your airport story? <laughs> it's not. <laughs> yeah, so I was, um, maybe we want to talk just, I'm sorry to interrupt you or if you, if you flow. You yeah, I know, but up. the thing it's is no that we, 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 promised, we promised our listeners or viewers um, also to talk about Spain a little bit because uh, we kind of jumped over it just um, We because, jumped over Spain. Yeah, because they have a very special thing. Because I, I got back to it because you yeah. spoke about the climate and uh, like Spain, they grow a lot because they have a lot of sun, you know, so they, they have a lot of home grow. Um, and for instance, in Portugal, which is right next door, just in case you don't know, it's... Um, they're like Tilray, which is a huge, you know, LP in Canada. They're gigantic. Um, they're now building a, a grow operation there with the Portuguese government. You know, they're going to be like the second official um, LP in, in Europe then out of Portugal. But in Spain, the, the way they tackled it is that they allow private clubs, you know, um, which is you, you at the group of friends, you're allowed to, yeah, I think you're allowed to grow like a couple of plants, something oh, like this. So you just group together as friends and form a social club. And then you just share your, because not everybody can, you know, has the same capacity. So they just throw everything together and all the crops are being thrown together and then divided by the members of the club. So you become a member of a club. really interesting. Yeah, it's a, it's a private, it's a private club though. It's not public, you know, so you only yeah. get in if you know somebody that is in the club, you so you have to be recommended. It's a yeah. speakeasy type thing. Yeah. So, <laughs> so it's do more you like, like buy a building or rent out a building or how is it at It's more house really like or? if you go to a coffee shop, it's really like going to a bar. If you go to a social club, it's like going to some guy's living room. Yeah. Pretty much. Yeah. You know, this is this is what it is. And 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 then it's not you don't buy your your cannabis there. It's more like you buy the membership and then you, you get your you ratio share. of the of the crop that they have. You know, and it's like usually I think it's like maximum of five grams a day that, that, that you're allowed to actually take out of it. But you know, this is how it works in Spain and it's kind of interesting approach to yeah, it, you know. It's really cool. Yeah. And I think yeah. they have up to four hundred or thereabout. I think in Barcelona thing. alone it's like two hundred, something yeah. like this. So it's it's quite popular. So it's interesting because you, you go up and to his point, um, the differentiator between Spain, say and UK. Um, as, as we look on the map as Americans are like, oh, they're just next door neighbors. The weather, the climate, um, climate specifically, literally and metaphorically is quite different. So when you speak of social clubs in Spain, that's a, a brick and mortar. That's literally a social club. Uh, when I go into UK, um, you know, and I, there's only one true social club. But there's the United Kingdom social club, but they're all virtual. So you have these social clubs that are on Facebook, and they do meet offline, but really their club is is a virtual club. There's only one guy that actually has, like I said, a true storefront um, that is considered a club, and even then it's a secret knock to the back door because it is all CBD is the only thing that, yeah. that um, England's even considered right now. So Yeah, so you have to remember that, like, 
recreational cannabis is illegal all over Europe, you know, except for coffee shops in the Netherlands. You know, it's illegal. You can, you're yeah. not allowed to smoke outside or anyway. You know, it's just... And I think the tolerances the are similar. And, and Benny can speak to mainland Europe, but again, in the UK, I mean, especially where you are, if you're smoking a joint, you have a J or something like that on the street, the, the Bobby will tell you to put it out. You know, he'll just be put it out through it, or he'll throw away your stash, especially if you only have a few grams. So uh, just like in the States where we have different levels, right? So we have, uh, we have full adult use and medical programs or the two merge, and that's the top level, let's say. And then we have medical legalization. And the thing below that that a lot of people don't discuss is decriminalization. So um, it's or, or what some states call the catch and release program. So that's, that's huge. That's pivotal. Because when over 60% of the people that are incarcerated in prisons in this country are in prison because of drug offenses, and not saying all those are cannabis, but a good portion of them are. And even, and even in the grand scheme of things, a minute um, holding, you know, they might have only had half ounce, an ounce. That's something that still can be, can be considered personal consumption in better parts of the country it is. When Germany, people on that program are given four grams a day, you know, so you can have a week supply of cannabis, and here that's, that's a, a, an offense. So... The decriminalization is another thing to consider, too, and there's a lot of states that have gone down the path of decriminalization um, of a catch and release, $50 fine, Drew, because I caught you with an eighth and, and move on. That's saving a lot of people's uh, destruction of life, especially the younger generations where all it takes is that one offense, that one felony, and that throws your whole career from college to, to your true you know, working career skew. Yeah. So. Well, I and know obviously it doesn't work, right? It doesn't. No. So people will still try to buy it you know it's not especially when you're young and don't think about it no. so and it's really i mean and, and my point is why would i send anyone to the same guy that will sell you anything you know of course he will try to sell you meth and whatever gets you hooked even quicker you know if, if he gets yeah. a chance to do it because it's his business and he doesn't care about that's what it, i think gets know? in it we, we had this discussion there are some people who've been around it I'm, i mean myself growing up in san francisco in the bay area Uh, you know, we had Berkeley. If you want to get drugs, you went to Berkeley. Acid. This is before Molly. I mean, just the entry of X. This is before Molly and MDMA, stuff like that. But for acid, for pot, for those kind of things, there's places you went. And exactly to Benny's point, um, you know, if they didn't have a, an eighth, maybe they had a tab of acid. So I think that's where uh, it wasn't so much Carter as it was the Nancy Reagan era of war on drugs. Uh, everyone started saying it's a gateway drug, it's a gateway drug. And unfortunately, people like sessions uh, still believe in that. So I think they're kind of an arrested development from reality because uh, it isn't a gateway drug. Exactly to Benny's point, it's more so I came for cannabis, but he only had X, Y, or Z. Yeah. So that's what we saw in the industry. So that's why the war on drugs didn't work. Yeah, it cost us money. If you go out in Berlin, you know, it's the same. You know, you have these, the guys in the street in front of the clubs. They'll sell you anything. Yeah. So that's a whole other kind of debate. I think that's going on is, you know, as a gateway. No, the people that I know that consume cannabis, um, I'm, I'm a medical cannabis user. Um, most of my friends are, but even the recreational ones now go, well, I'm out of cannabis. Let's see if we can find, you know, a type of acid yeah, or a line of so coke or some molly. Or yeah, it's, so, but it's true. It's all about the perception, you know. So in, in Europe, Europe is a very conservative place, you know, in most very parts. True. So um, it's, it's like the, 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 the recognition of cannabis as a medical thing is in most places it's not really there. You know, it's kind of new, like even places like Germany, who seem to be very progressive, but we have like conservative leadership, right? So our medical cannabis program is not even a year old. 
you know so and this is why to come back to the airport story like my friend so he's a he's a medical cannabis uh, patient in, so in, in germany and we're gonna sell, yeah okay. i'm gonna loop it back in no and i didn't know whether or not he was no, dodging see, it no, not, see i, I tried to do. do what can i say Jared, i tried friend yeah. I tried. I tried <laughs> to. Be I tried to weave it in, you know, as politely as I could. Thanks for you to pulling it back up. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's basically so. Uh, just about the perception, you know. He he's a medical cannabis patient, and uh, he was at the airport, and you know, just rolling one up, you know, yeah. because he's he's anxious. He has it for anxiety, so he's anxious before the flight, and so he went to one of those little smoke cubicles, you know, rolled up his his joint and smoked it, and everybody's like. <gasps> What the? And then, of course, pol police came by, took with him, and then checked everything, you know, and eventually uh, had to let him go, you know, because he could prove that he's a medical patient. And there's even one guy in, uh, in, in Bavaria, the government, because they took away his cannabis, like his joint, and, and threw it away, right? So they had to refund him. Because they threw away, <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's, oh, that's that the way it in is. this country. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, because it's his medicine, was, right? Yeah. If you take away somebody's medicine, plenty of municipalities yeah. would file BK after that one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, so you better. Yeah, that's that's kind of. Do you even have smoking areas at airports? It, well, in we, Europe I mean, they do. Yeah, I mean, in Europe, I mean, in we, in we do here, like McCarran does, because McCarran like is inside. a smoker inside. So you do have fish bowls for uh, smokers, but it's something that I've I've never seen anyone. Um, you know, with a spliff in there necessarily. But yeah, it is a designated smoking area. So you, you just to digress a little bit, you brought up your, uh, a medical patient. Do you mind talking about how cannabis affected your life and, and the way you became uh, as positive about it and enthusiastic as you are? Is that fair? Yeah, no, definitely. And I'm comfortable. I, you know, we say, uh, for those of us who came out of the green closet, that's a term we use. So I came out of the green closet about a year ago uh, while working for Weed Maps. We were actually doing a smoking hand series, as they call it, my media team was. And they had approached quite a few individuals in, in uh, the company. And then they came to me and, and uh, being the head of media, I was a little surprised because normally I'm behind the scenes uh, of things they're producing. But uh, they said, you have a good story and we, we want you to share. And I said, it's a little long for Instagram format <laughs> coming from years in dot com. Even I knew that. So uh, kind of in summary, you, you know, I'm uh, celebrated 14 years of being cancer free this past November. And uh, so while uh, my urologist and, and oncologist were not necessarily fans of cannabis, uh, it did change my way of thinking as it came to uh, my health and just the way I take care of myself and things I do. And um, so over the years, you know, cut out things like you guys know, not not so much a fan of red meat anymore. I don't really drink soda, uh, just things that can keep me on the right track for health. And uh, and then being introduced to this industry and in background, again, growing up in the Bay Area, I was always around. I was a little surfer kid. You can imagine the things I got into. But uh, water <laughs> in the bong before the ocean. Yeah. Um, so, uh, yeah, it was kind of one of those things. But then I did I did become straight laced because I went to San Luis Obispo for college and I was a criminal justice major. So I decided I was going to get into law enforcement. and You have to change certain things. So I had not consumed ca cannabis in, in two decades, literally. And uh I was just around it. I was around all these people and being educated about the plant, being educated about the cannabinoids and how there's so much more than just THC, because that's what people think of as just a psychoactive effect of cannabis. Um, and then what really hit at home was, you know, these children that were migrating up to Colorado from places like Texas and Oklahoma and Iowa uh, that had epileptic seizure issues. And they're being given um, either Charlotte's Web or, or RSO, Rick Simpson oil, and they're dropping from 95 seizures per week to five. 
And then some of them have actually had streaks of weeks or months without, um, without seizures. I'm like, there's something here. There's something healthy here. Um, so for me, obviously, by this point, you know, already cancer-free and all that, uh, but did still have a bit of issues. And I used to compete water skiing when I was a kid. I ran cross-country in high school. And so my knees and ankles aren't the, the best. And um, so like most people, I'd utilize Tylenol, Advil, ibuprofen. And uh, when the study came out for ibuprofen a few years ago about just how damaging and taxing it is on your kidneys and liver, I was like, you know, I think uh, there might be something more natural. And uh, so I am proud to say I definitely am a fan of CBD. Uh, I see it as um, a resource in many respects. Uh, but obviously, I, I do appreciate the entourage effect too. Uh, something that I just, I gave Benny uh, something to try um, that really helps me with sleep as well as with the pain. Um, and it's a pill, it's a multi-stack, it's predominantly CBD, but does have a little bit of THC to help with the entourage effect for delivery, um, which is nice, you know. But I asked him how it worked. He said, I, you know, he's on a different time zone. For him, 3 a.m. is like uh, lunchtime back home. So he kept I don't saying, even know what you're talking about. <laughs> he doesn't even know what time it is. So, so he kept telling me he was getting up at, you know, he kept saying I was getting up at 3 or 4 in the morning. I'm like, okay, why, why don't you try this? Um, because I think, you know, he appreciates it from a medicinal standpoint too. And he said, yeah, I didn't wake up till 6-something this morning. And um, unlike sleeping pills, like we were talking a little bit before the show about Ambien and some of these, you know, um, excessively used prescription drugs, uh, unlike those drugs, no side effects, no hangover. Like I feel like I should today. And that gets into the fact that we all have endocannabinoid systems, CB1 receptors, CB2 receptors, CB1 receptors interact with THC, CB2 receptors interact with CBD. So our body is designed to take it. And I was talking to a chemist one time that was working on a formula for uh, cancer patients because uh, cancer patients are paying as much as $5 per pill. So you're talking about a single bottle costing $500. Uh, this chemist and his friends were able to come up with um, something comparable that's a derivative from cannabis for 10 cents a pill. So he said, of course, he'd love to own a portion of a nice house, but he didn't do that exercise to get rich. He did it to prove that Mother Nature provides things that help our ailments, um, and they don't have to be grown out of a Petri dish or out of a, a chemist's um, lab. So, you know, it's things like that, again, where um, it just opened my eyes, you know, to how much an impact it can make. Okay, so <clears throat> I... I Coming out of the green closet, I smoked a tremendous amount of cannabis when I was a young man. Mm -hmm. And it was uh, the social uh, aspect about it. Uh, it was naughty to be yeah. using, uh, we called it pot or weed. or yeah. uh, We should have a conversation at some point about words. And, the slang term. We and, talked. Yeah. <laughs> that has shown itself. Universal yeah. slang terms. <laughs> um, but it was, it was naughty. So the rebellious youth was inclined to want to do it. Mm -hmm. So today, with all the, the um, and I don't know what the, the social uh, aspect was in uh, Germany. Did you have it around when you were a kid? No. Okay. So no. I mean, my parents, I mean, if you think about, like, um, of course, uh, like the 68 generation, yeah. you know, these, my Baby parents, they were hippies, yeah. you know, probably they had smoked. I mean, my mother, she was a chain cigarette smoker, you know, I, obviously, I mean, it's for us, it's, like the perception, I, I remember like the first cannabis, the first cannabis show that I went to. Um, I still had this little feeling. Say, wow, there, that kids here and the families here. You know, this That's is this is how we are. In the international space, they bring kids to the shows, you know. and they don't in the U.S. Yeah. I found that as being very interesting. Yeah, yeah. So for me, it was like, you know, still uh, because I was brought up with, you know, like being like from the past sixty-one UN Charter generation. You know, so this is a bad thing. You know, there's everybody in school told us this is a bad thing. So it's like, 
they're bringing kids. And they, at the Canafest in Prague, they even had a, like a, a, a childcare center. You could leave your kids there, wow. you know, and just walk around. You see a lot of elderly people, you know, and entire families That's coming along. That's they had along. Expo Weed. Just, I know, just got back from Chile, the same thing. They had, a, they had a kids area. They had a children's area, and there were children's and family. But I think there's a level of respect. Like, I saw that at Expo Weed. There, uh, w- there were people openly consuming but it was very tamed. It wasn't what you'd think because you had to come in, you had to make sure yeah. you blah, blah, blah. Yeah, well, you're allowed of to Of course, at the shows in Europe, yeah. you're not allowed to smoke, you yeah. know, it's because it's still illegal. So, yeah. so the question is now, with there being so much acceptance or a, a blooming uh, attitude of acceptance across all the cannabis markets about cannabis being therapeutic, cannabis being positive, does it create less of a, a pickup rate for the youth because it's not rebellious? I mean, is that even a, a thing? That's been, yeah, that's been another topic that's come up. So a lot of people, uh, you know, I'm, I let people know I'm a microdoser is a term that I use. And it's a, it's a term that can be used ambiguously with, with anything when it comes to medication. But um, so I'm like a five milligram, 10 milligram guy. You know, there's some people who are consuming, you know, a thousand milligrams in one chocolate bar, dare I say, which is insane in my mind, because that's not something I need for, for my health. Um, but yeah, that's, you know, you, now I've started hearing out of uh, Silicon Valley, you know, the guys up there microdosing acid. It's like, wait, are they doing that? Because pot's legal now in California, so now they have to do something else. So I don't know if that, the one thing I will say though, that I learned from uh, the millennials and even from the, the Z generation, because the Z generation just graduated college last year. So that is the, the next gen um, so sorry, millennials, you're turning into Gen Xers. Yeah. <laughs> kind of fun, but I'm turning into a baby boomer, so it's not funny. Um, <laughs> just well, bumped welcome, up a tear. Welcome, by yes, the way. Thank yeah. you. We're thank glad you. to have you. Double ARP has not hit me up yet. So, uh, but it is interesting because those generations, when you talk about the Gen Y and the, the Gen Z, uh, both like they're going to consume. If they want to consume, they're going to consume. If it's legal or not, it's irrelevant. If it's something, if I'm gonna, if I want to smoke pot, I'm gonna smoke pot. So this whole thing, where I, I think it might more so you, the Carter generation, and again me, the Nancy Reagan generation. Drugs are bad. Frying pan with the egg. This is your brain on drugs. Blah blah blah. All that stuff does need to be worn off because that was something that was so masterminded. And we won't get in depth, but I mean, Carter did some uncool things with his campaign. Um, essentially against minorities and against the hippies um, of the 60s with this whole, you know, war. I wasn't around for this. Yeah. I mean, Near was I, I can say. And even if, if you think that even this entire decriminalization thing in Europe is not that old, you know, I remember when I was a kid, you know, it's like, oh, wow, now you're, you're not getting arrested for having cannabis on you, you know, if you have a small, like, personal amount, which in Germany, for instance, it depends on which state you're in. You know, so Berlin is kind of liberal and Bavaria is zero, you know, it's zero tolerance. So you'll be in Berlin, you're not even get a fine. It just take it away from you as long as it's like below 15 grams or something. So they, they acknowledge that, you know, also if you think about all the paperwork and everything that's attached to it, you know, and it's just, I mean, and we have access, you know, we have access to alcohol and, you know, it's just a funny you thing. Your first year? How old were you? Oh, probably 14. That's what I guess. Yeah, legal, legal age for beer in Germany is 16, and you can buy it at every supermarket and, and everywhere, you know? So, so if you go to one of those little kiosks in the streets, you know, you don't really have them here. But like Berlin really lives off these, we call them Späti, um, Spätkopf. It's just a kiosk, and you can buy everything. They're 24-7. It's like a 7-Eleven a little bit, you know? So they, <laughs> uh, But they have everything, beer, you know, wine, But booze. were your folks sharing alcohol in the home early in your life? I mean, was it something that was normal? Yeah, it's very normal. We drink every think, day. But that's know? a difference between them. It's interesting, uh, and maybe a double standard's applied, but 
over in Europe that my friends over there and Benny fits the mold as well. Uh, it's everything in moderation. I mean, that, that's the mentality. It's like everything, it doesn't matter if it's food, alcohol, smoking, everything's in moderation where everything here is in excess, you know? And again, that's applicable to food and alcohol and everything is in excess in the States. So that's one thing I think that's interesting. Just, I'm a soccer about. fan, so I tend to have that might be a excessive, excess. excessive alcohol from time to time. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Does football is good. So uh, take us across the, let's go across the pond the other way. Let's talk about Australia. You just spent some time in Australia. And uh, most of us have no clue what's happening in Australia. Yeah. Uh, talk about that. It's, it's an interesting place. So Australia did technically vote uh, legalization on medical a few years back uh, because of what's going on in the government there. Uh, not to be too surprised, but uh, there's people in place, you know, in parliament that um, unfortunately they have ties to the big pharmaceutical companies. So they're going through this whole uh, vaccination of everyone on the continent. And a lot of people are pushing back because they know the motive. They, the, the motive is financial gain. So they've really put uh, cannabis on the back burner. It's unfortunate. There's product that's actually sitting in warehouses uh, outside of uh, Sydney that they can't do anything with. And it's CBD. I mean, this is straight health attribution stuff. And um, they're saying on it. The one thing I am proud to say that the uh, woman who just came into Parliament over in New Zealand, she's very much a forward thinker. She has a Trudeau mentality as far as, uh, okay, let's this is the 21st century kind of mentality. And so uh, we see the plausibility of New Zealand moving forward as soon as 2020. Now it's a much lesser populace. Again, you're talking about just under 25 million in Australia, you're talking about about 4 million on the island of New Zealand. And it's not just a skip away. I mean, it's three, three or four hour uh, plane ride. But I think that says a lot because uh, the fact that where are Australians gonna vacation now? I mean, a lot of them went to Bali and that's common as well. But the fact that they can take a three-hour flight and consume cannabis and go snow skiing, <laughs> I mean, that it's a no-brainer. It's a win-win. So, yeah, it's one of those things where I think Australia really needs to wake up. But uh, they are in a good place. I mean, there definitely is a culture there. Uh, to Benny's point, just like Europe and South America, it's very much a, a grow country. Uh, so that's what we find is, you know, here, because we are such consumers and uh, we are so much more on the capitalist side, I think there will be a lot more production and purchase here as opposed to home grow. Uh, but it's nice to see that the, the industry is strong. And it was a great tour. I, I landed in, you know, props to the Magical Butter guys who were my host and uh, a few other people in the industry. We all got together and we made this pilgrimage. I actually wrote a story on it. I'll have to uh, share the link with you guys. Uh, I hadn't written in years because I wrote for about five years before I got into a publisher position, GM position. And uh, I had to write a story because it was just such an awesome experience. The people are fantastic. Um, the culture there in general, but the culture as it applies to cannabis, uh, you know, I met a lot of hippies with an Aussie accent. That's the one thing I liked. You know, we ended up in this town uh, called Nimbin. And they have the Mardi Gras every year, and that was their 25th anniversary. So I thought it was pivotal for what better first experience than a 25th anniversary. Over 10,000 people migrated there. And again, when you think of a whole country populace around 25 million, to have 10,000 people go there. I mean, we wouldn't get 10,000 people to show up for the 420 rally in Colorado. And, and, and that's obviously a 5.6 million population state, but there's plenty of states all around it. So uh, going there, I mean... If you drop, if I dropped you guys into Nimbin, this is a cool thing. You would feel like you were in Mendocino, um, and all the way down the dreadlocks, the clothing, like the the natural hemp cloth, everything about it, and the passion about the plant. And that's really Max Stone, who's the head of the Hemp Embassy, which is right in the middle of town. I mean, this is a 
you blink, you miss it. It's a very small, quaint town, very tight knit community. But Max and the team are fantastic guys. And his mantra is free the plant. That's all. You, I mean, free the plant, free the. We did a march from one side of town to out in front of the, the police uh, headquarters. <laughs> carrying a, Just the two I, of you? Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I was probably the only American. Did that every evening. Oh, there's a few. I met a few that. that uh, yeah, I like know, walking. Expats, I don't know. But, uh, but no, we, t- we carried uh, the world's largest inflatable joint. So they, they own that literally, <laughs> I'll show you the pictures. They own that. And, uh, so anyway, so it was an awesome experience though. And I'm going back again this year. So. I have a question. What is their view on America and Americans in relation to cannabis? I mean, what's, we have, obviously we're in it and we have our own perspectives of the outside world, but what do they view of us? Yeah, their view, uh, they definitely, it's interesting because the Aussies, you know their background. I mean, essentially, that was a prison to to the Queensland. You know, that was Great Britain's little island to put the bad people. And so they don't necessarily have the fondest feeling towards the UK. They more so associate themselves with America. Because, again, if you look at our history, we were also kind of pushed away from the motherland. So um, so it's a similarity. And the same thing I sense when I was in, Ar- in Ireland as well. The Irish are, are very much, I feel like, they kind of associate themselves more so with us than they do anyone over in proper UK, rather be Scots, Welsh. <laughs> oh, like pretty much English. everybody Except the UK. Yeah, yes. it could be anybody if it's <laughs> I not. Guess I not as the long obvious. as it's not English. <laughs> the the, Irish, monarchy, the, the monarchy is not loved. <laughs> the Irish actually think they're closer to the Germans than they do. The yeah. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> I, being of English descent, I do still have a little respect, but, but I think they do associate with us and they do understand the culture. So, my experience, there's about 15 different strains that I came across. And I literally came across everything from what we call ditchweed, which is stuff that odorless, you know, tasteless. I mean, it's just. Mm. It's almost like grass in a bag. That's mm. probably where the expression grass came from. Just really bottom barrel to, uh, to this one gentleman who, uh, you know, he brought almost, almost like, uh, like a humidor, you know, brought this case and he had one gram sample packs of, I think it was eight different strains total that he wanted to share with me. And he got all these genetics from either Europe or America. So he's like, these strains are from you know, Spain. This strain is from Finland. This strain. And then he goes on, this strain is from Humboldt. This strain is from Eureka. So he had all these different strains. And sure enough, I mean, he had OG Kush. He had the hazes. You know, he had everything short of cookies as far as the popular stuff. So um, I was really impressed. But they do very much see Americans as... Um, a leader. You know, I mean, it really is. The Emerald Triangle is what we call it. That's three uh, counties up in Northern California, Humboldt, Trinity, and Eureka. Uh, that is the Champagne region to cannabis. It's the most ideal climate. The soil is phenomenal. The The weather, the temperate, like we were talking about with Spain, is spot on. Um, and it does. It translates into South Oregon. And that's where the movement's going to be with growers. Because California, again, once you get the government involved, I hate to say it, but things are going to be more challenging. You're not going to be able to just go, oh... Um, this weed didn't cure right, I can blow it off on the black market. No, you, you have to incinerate it. So it's going to make things really challenging. So I have some grow friends who are like, we migrated over the border. They're up in Medford. They're up in Grants Pass. They're up in Jacksonville or even as far as Eugene. A um, little bit different moisture up there, but still an ideal climate. So, so the future uh, is bright for cannabis. Uh, if, uh, one thing we need to mention is if you have questions. Scott, if I had a question, what would I do? You can reach us um, on our social medias at Bovida Cannabis on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, and YouTube, actually, and just hashtag Ask Bovida, and we will respond and maybe even make a podcast around your question. 
And it's at Bovida Cannabis on... Uh... Yes, at Bovida Cannabis. You're listening to Hayes Radio Network. Cannabis Lifestyle Radio.